there's only one way this ends. Last man standing. I'm going to see my And we're back. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar reviewing another wannabe contender that all the critics have put up and put on their stilts and their best of lists and trying to knock the true king of Hollywood off the perch. Another has been and never was that's going to have to look at and see all the, the glory of and take down a peg or two and bring down to reality. I'm so angry at how good 1917 is. I was trying so hard to find faults with it, but that's what we're giving the Oscar Sprint Profile review to today. That was all sarcasm. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike Mike. Also, Mike, and this feels like a Best Picture winner, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it really does. It I'm very really, angry about it. really does. All I have to hold on to, I know we're going to get into the Oscar lens. That's what we do here. I'll tell you about the episode in a second. All I have right now is to hold on to the Academy's disinterest in giving war movies best picture historically they don't win it historically that's all i have there why wouldn't this win best picture i was waiting for that movie that was just going to be this the, the the film that nobody could be angry with that yeah. was a technical achievement or mm. just had great themes and yeah. was you know a terrific film to go see in the theaters and this is that movie and we've seen films like this just Sweet. Yeah, we We've have seen many like it. It won the Golden Globe Best Picture Drama for a reason, I guess. We'll get into it. This is an Oscar Sprint Profile review. If you've not joined us before, uh, for one of our OSPs, as we lovingly call them, because everything needs to be boiled down to three initials with us. Mm -hmm. uh, what we do is we take a film, we take a would be, should be, or in this case, is an Oscar contender, and we hold it up to the Oscars lens. We give you basically two reviews for the price of one. The first half is non-spoiler. If you've not seen the movie yet, don't worry. You're in a safe space from here until the spoiler warning dance party breakdown if you've not heard that before uh, it'll be in the middle of every episode but like i said the first half spoiler free we're going to go over the production values we're going to go over the performances hold it up to the oscars lens etc etc then you will have that kind of dance number from a hot polish dj <laughs> it's me uh that'll warn you that the spoilers are coming in the second half of every osp breakdown that we do is all spoiler filled so again if you've not seen the movie yet the first half is spoiler free if you've seen the movie already you want to get our thoughts on the twists and turns in the plot that's all going to be in the second half but for the first half michael we start with a production profile in the spoiler-free section. Yes, 1917 was nominated for 10 Oscars. Yeah, it was. Talk about the first three here. Best Picture has producers Sam Mendes, Pippa Harris from Call the Midwife, Jane Ann Tengren, and Callum McDougal, who both did the, the latest Bond movies, Skyfall and Spectre. Of course, the director is Sam Mendes, fresh off his Golden Globe win, Gold which deserved. was... A huge victory for him there. An upset, too. And he, you know, shared the uh, Critics' Choice uh, winning circle with Bong Joon-ho. It's which, probably those two, for you would think, for the director at the... Uh, depending on what the DGAs say, obviously. The fact that Mendy's got in there as well after yeah. Bong Joon-ho really swept all of the Critics' Circle awards... It says a lot to me. It's funny. We were looking in so many different categories and thinking, well, which, at least in my mind, I've compared a lot of different categories to the supporting actress race a couple years ago, mm -hmm. where we had Laurie Metcalf win all the precursors, win the run-up, and then when the major precursors started, it was Allison Janney in a runaway for I, Tanya. Yeah. Bong Joon-ho has won pretty much all the Critics Circle Best Director Awards. He was the betting favorite, and then the major precursor started with the Golden Globes. It's been a lot of Sam Mendes lately for this movie. Yes, sir. We should have been smarter when predicting original screenplay. We both belligerently selected Booksmart as our fifth, and 1917 got the nod. 
I kind of stand by that. I could, you could make holes in the screenplay argument from yeah. this at least because it's really only one trope the entire movie. It's a great trope and it's done maybe perfectly, but it's a countdown situation. It's against the, a race against time situation. Some of the uh, callbacks in this film and in the screenplay tickle my writer's Same fancy. Now. My writer's fancy is, is, is a ticklish <laughs> part of my anatomy, I guess. Huh, no. This is taking a dark turn. <laughs> so, original screenplay was written by Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns of Penny Dreadfill. Dreadfill or yep, Dreadfull? And last night in Soho, the upcoming Edgar Wright movie that I want to see right oh, now. Yeah, cannot Give it wait to me now. for that. Uh, 2020 is shaping up to be as great as 2019 has been, but we're not done with 2019 yet. As for the cast of this movie, 1917, it stars George McKay. He's from Captain Fantastic, which I shamefully have yet to see. Oh, see that's fun. Yeah, I should do that. Dean Charles Chapman co-stars. He was toothpick bunny rabbit from Game of Thrones. <laughs> Tom and Baratheon, Whatever. <laughs> Colin Firth, of course, of the King's Speech. Andrew Scott. <laughs> He's the priest from Fleabag. Of some reason, wasn't kneeling the entire time in this movie. Mark Strong. He's the bad guy that from everything, including car commercials now, <laughs> and Kick-Ass. Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbill from Doctor Strange and the Imitation Game. And Richard Madden, also from Game of Thrones, apparently, and Bodyguard star in this. 1917 has a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, the critical score there, with an audience score of 89%. Who are the audience members and critics? Mm. who are saying this isn't good. I, I mean, because the tomato a... meter from the critic side yeah. is just, is the movie worth seeing? Right. It's good or bad. Those are your two options. I, I don't know. This is a hard movie to dislike. Yeah. A hard movie to come down with a, a thumbs down on. I don't understand that. Metascore is a 79. I will repeat my question. Why? IMDb audiences give it an 8.7. That makes sense. Now, the film made $37 million in its first weekend domestically. In its second week, it is now up to $75 million as of Wednesday. We're recording this on Friday. Those are the numbers we have at the moment. So it's making a ton of money right out of the gate. Everyone's watching this. We've talked numerous times about box office carrying yeah. award-centric movies to awards prominence. And again, look no further than last year with Bohemian Rhapsody. And this was a late breaker that showed well enough early. I think the screenings they had were very well-timed. There were events, I remember, at that particular moment at the end of November there, and people were hyped, or maybe it was early December, but people were hyped for it. They they got rave reviews, and when this thing started to buzz, it was loud. So one of the questions after seeing this and seeing how good this movie is, and Little Women, it's one of the questions I had in my mind. Do movies need to be this good if they're put that late in award season to debut, like yes. do, do they need to be this good or in Little Women's case that different and good in order to be taken seriously as this awards appealing, contender? Appealing, I yeah. would say. This appealing to a mass audience because if you're going to delay it, if you have an awards movie, right. if you're going to delay it, if it's not a vegetables film per se, delay it to the January box office where you can make some money yeah. on those post nomination coattails. Case there. in point right here. A lot uh, of metaphors. All, <laughs> all in a row that don't make sense and are mixed. The plot premise for this one, two young British soldiers during the First World War are given an impossible mission deliver a message deep in enemy territory that will stop 1600 men and one of the soldiers' brothers from walking straight into a deadly trap. So expectations, Mike, I think after we heard the rave reviews, we thought quite simply that this was going to be one of the best films of the year. We kind of dreaded that fact. Yep. And if it was going to win Best Picture, like many people were talking, it better be a masterpiece. It better be a tier one film. 
we kind of got that, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. One of my highest grades of film in 2019 is that we're going to end this episode on at the end of the spoiler section, but I'm with you. After you win the Golden Globe for drama, if you're not schmoozing your way to a victory like some movies have in the past, <laughs> uh, you that usually means you're worth seeing, and so it makes you an automatic Best Picture contender as well. So that's what I was expecting and hoping for, and it lived up to it. It definitely did. Production values are a major factor in that last statement by both of us. Mike, there are making of videos that I recommend to everybody. There's like three or four of them on YouTube right now. They're 10 minutes, 20 minutes long. Watch them. Maybe we'll put some of those links out on our social media. And I wanted to talk about the other seven Oscar nominations throughout this segment here because cinematography, I think we have to start there. We have Roger Deakins from Blade Runner 2049, No Country for Old Men, Skyfall. They did a great recap of his career on the Big Picture podcast with Amanda Dobbins and Sean Fennessy. Chris Ryan was on there too. Mike, the first thing I wanted to talk about was the lighting. We have naturally lit exteriors for the most part, but when we have a nighttime sequence, we have a burning building. Behind that burning building is an entire structure of lights shining through. The only other lights in that ruined city are the flares shooting overhead. They had to basically do a science experiment on getting those flares to at the right arc so that they would light George McKay when they wanted to light George McKay. It is a filmmaking feat unlike I've ever seen before on how they they figured this out. It looks like a dream sequence, the way it's shot. It just looks so unnatural and so unlike anything mm. that you would encounter in everyday life and yet it is very you very you realize very quickly it is a very real just the, the night time of this movie and we all know it lo- it's it's edited and shot to make it look like it's one continuous shot we were going to touch on that in a second mm-hmm. as well but i mean the production values for this i can't remember a movie that can be carried to a best picture win relying so heavily on production values this one would be. I mean, I understand why it didn't get an acting nominee. I would even be okay with it winning Best Picture if it didn't get the screenplay nom and doing it that first time in 88 because the the set design is fucking gorgeous. The score is awesome. The cinematography is just breathtaking. It's actually breathtaking. Some of the visuals you get in this are comparable to Ad Astra, which was just as beautiful, and this outdoes it sometimes. The fact that he's constantly on the move, and he still plans some of these just iPod. I don't know how he got the camera in certain places that he gets it. with. I mean, there's one part where where our main character is walking on the ledge of a downed bridge. I don't understand where the camera was in this, because it's moving from high land to down in the water, it seems like. There was a Cirque du Soleil performer who had a <laughs> he had like a month off, and he was doing somersaults very slowly with the camera on his feet. Right, or something. <laughs> it must no, have been. Mike, they built a lighter HD camera for this movie. They had it on like these racks, and the racks would go onto motorcycles to cranes. The gaffers might be the MVPs. Yeah, for because for real, from, from one truck into the hands of other gaffers who were in costume as extras running around a battle scene, and then all of a sudden they grab the camera from behind and run in front of George McKay. I mean, it's unbelievable. Watch these making of featurettes. I'm such a sucker for that type of stuff, too. Oh, I just, I mean, I get aroused physically, (laughs) and it's probably a bad sign. (laughs) 
from that. That's a second pseudo-sexual reference you've had so far. Food I think we're ten and, minutes in. Food and camera tricks. That's where my life is right now. That's where my sex Ladies! <laughs> you know the way to get to my heart. Uh, they also went 360 degrees around yeah. these characters. And that, that was something that you typically don't do. It's kind of breaking the rules in a way because it could disorient the audience. It does not disorient the audience here. It works like a charm. The first shot is akin to, to one of those Gone with the Wind. I think it was the, the same shot that they put in the Black Klansman okay. movie. That pullback where you see everything else is happening around these guys. Mm-hmm. You don't really understand the full context of the scene until you have your camera's tracking or until it fades back or until it's doing whatever it's doing. But I'm such a sucker for that type of stuff. I don't know why we're having the cinematography category. I really don't. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's winning this in a runaway for damn good reason. Roger damn Deacons. good reasons. I agree. The fifth Oscar nomination here is for production design, Michael. I don't understand why this is more heavily featured. It's or has a better chance to win in hair and makeup, it seems, than it does production design. I love Tarantino. We've done a billion hours with him. The thing he did with Hollywood Boulevard is unbelievable. I'm okay with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood winning production design, obviously, right. but it shouldn't be a runaway like it seems to be right now. No, not with after, this movie. Not after you watch these making yeah. feature ass folks. You gotta do it. Do it immediately. Because Dennis Gassner from Skyfall and Lee Sandalis, Sandalis, excuse me, Rogue One, Force Awakens, uh, they outdo themselves here. Look, we've seen one-take films like this. We've Mm -hmm. seen Birdman. We've seen Rope, now 1917. There have been many others, and many that have actually been done in in one take. Victoria from two years ago is one. Utoya July 22 is a more recent film. It's not the Netflix July 22 version from the Bourne uh, series director there. But those spring to my mind recently. Many... of these are done in interiors. This is an entirely, for the most part, exterior film. And the fact that he pulls this off the way he does, relying on natural light, creating these sets, basically for the timing of it all, like, think about it. I mean, all the sets have to blend into each other, yep. number one, when you're when you're going transitionally between scenes. But you also have to basically time out, all right, this is an eight-minute scene, yep. so the set better be large enough so that it's an eight-minute walk. Now, it wasn't one shot, right? That's important to note, too. We don't right. know when the breaks were, but this was filmed to look like it's one running I shot. I know when the breaks were. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was edited together to look like one shot. It was only. It was a multiple shot thing. It was done like a regular movie. But your point remains that these sets still need to bleed into each other, and it is all about timing, especially with the way this movie was lit, especially with the way, way this camera was moving certain times. I don't know how they pulled this off. All I can think think of the entire time while watching this was how are they doing this there's one uh shot in the featurette where it's a breakaway window i mean he must have ran downstairs george mckay too he must have ran downstairs because that shot is go through the window yep. and then pan down to george to mckay who's walking already out the building yeah unbelievable I noticed that. and uh the fact that you, you get lighting for that nighttime shot again like i said but let's be honest, we've never traveled through a war movie quite like this in real time. Obviously, Dunkirk was its own experience. That was a little more high-octane, crazy editing, mm-hmm. crazy score. But this movie was visually incredible, and it also just sucked you in to yep. the drama of it. And that's because of the production design cinematography. And, and the, you know, the editing, which did not get nominated, probably should have, because I think they were making those edits during some of the pants mm. like when you go behind a bush or behind a rock it felt a little grainy for me i think they were just slowing it down to the the most minute frame and cutting it in between the pants wow. 
That's I, that's my guess. I couldn't tell. I mean, you you have more experience on set and behind the camera than I do, so I I was lost. I was just in awe of what I was seeing. But I'm just glad I possible. wasn't behind the camera because it <laughs> wouldn't have looked like this. It would have looked pretty terrible. But all right, Oscar nomination number six: makeup and hairstyling for Naomi Dunn from Overlord, Tristan Lewis from Ex Machina, and Rebecca Cole from Bo Rap. I don't understand this nomination. I don't understand it at all. They got good credits to their names. Let's okay, put it that way. So you have dust. Yeah, that's it. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, you got some blood, some, not as much as we thought there right. would be. Uh, the wounds are on more extras. Dust. <laughs> yeah, more dust. The wounds are more on extras, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, certainly. They're certainly not on our... I mean, there was, he does get wounded. We see our main players have some kind of wounds from a distance. I don't... I mean, God bless these people, and good for them for being nominated. The momentum that's in the makeup and hairstyling category should be in production design. That's my, my take from this. So the thing is, then, it shows the strength of the film. For, for it to yeah, get it a does. makeup and hairstyling. Yeah, that's nom- total Oscar puzzles. we got to win the undercard to have a chance at winning the big ones. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't know who else to nominate here, so let's just put a big movie I in. I think so. Oh, boy. Original score, Thomas Newman. He's been nominated for his 15th Oscar on this one. Shawshank Redemption, Wally, Finding Nemo, Skyfall, Bridge of Spies are just a few of the great scores on his resume. Look, it is impossible to be score death in this movie. It's so good. The score is so good, and it mimics exactly, the, it does exactly what you want it to do with the tension, the tension building, and it shows between how it's shot and what the score is a huge part of it, the, the horror of war, how you're never safe. In moments of peace, you are, you know, in terms of the score, a couple string plucks of a violin or yeah. a cello away from things ramping up because there's gunshots that are going to ring out and land right near you, and the score does a fantastic job. You're right, it's impossible to be scored that if this score was overwhelming to me at times in a good way well they blare it it's in some epic moment but i think more on a personal level it works for his psychological journey because you're right you get the tension scenes and the score really you know wraps you up in it but you get a lot of beauty in in this music as well it's really a terrific score thomas newman should win it for this but i don't think he's gonna because the world is burning i mean look we had a great year in score this is part of it and this lives up this deserves to be nominated absolutely would you say right now it's head and shoulders above joker i don't know that i would i think it's close but i might like put this score on to write our next episode because it might just hype me up so much but yeah i don't want to put the joker score on to write any episode that'll be a dark and ominous horrible episode for us i Even think guna de tier is great i mean it's a great score but either score i think would put you on the edge of your seat to be honest whether you're writing to that one or this one because this one i found myself on the edge of my yeah. seat when the score does ramp up in those moments True. of suspense i was like oh my god what's happening i, I it put me on edge now, the VFX, uh, this was a surprise nomination. I think I did pick it, but it's another Coattails nom here. you got some great personnel, though. Gualami, excuse me, Rotron, Life of Pi and Ad Astra, Greg Butler, Lord of the Rings and the Harry Potters, and David Tui, who's also nominated. He's nominated twice in this category this year. He's also nominated for The Rise of Skywalker. This makes sense to me. I could see the VFX really? nomination. I mean, you're dealing with all kinds of explosions. You can't actually have explosions going off that close to extras. This is the practical effects VFX. That's true, too. That's, and, and I can see it. I think VFX has a tendency to go practical over the big budget ones. We've kind of researched that and had that be true, so it wouldn't surprise me to see this win overall, either, to be frank. And a lot of the VFX tricks are editing tricks mm. so i mean he's falling into some water that's a vfx trick for the editing wow. 
and he's you're entering some doorways but you don't lose sight of the slightly lit bodies the, you know their backs but that's vfx so i think you know the editing credit was actually given away in some other areas with the cinematography in vfx i think the last two nominees mike went to sound mixing and sound editing you have uh, the crew from the martian and captain phillips on here you have the uh, star wars people on here as well with oliver tarney rachel tate mark taylor and Stuart wilson yeah this should be nominated in the sound categories and this should win over ford versus ferrari so I keep going back to those making of featurettes. While they're filming some of these scenes, you have people screaming out, go, 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 do this, do that. I mean, you can hear people yelling. <laughs> it's an yelling. actual battlefield, yeah. Right, you can hear people yelling uh, cues for all the different arrivals and all the different things they got going on this, on set. And these are basically theatrical cues for people. So whatever they put in, in terms of the sound, they put in afterwards. Yeah, and they do a hell of a job, not only editing, making these sounds, because the bullets, they're different types of bullets from different types of firepower. They're landing in different places. They're hitting metal. They're hitting plastic. They're right. hitting human skin. So and every single gunshot that's supposed to be intimidating to you mm -hmm. is. And mm -hmm. it, it again, it jilted me up. And there's somewhere there are moments of shock and awe, and they're supposed to be scary. It's almost like a horror movie quite frankly and it gives you that jump scare and it does their job yeah i would uh, editing in a runaway i noticed the the editing the sound editing specifically much more than in ford versus ferrari i just did so probably our guess is maybe ford v ferrari wins one and 1917 wins the other or maybe it wins both i don't know i don't know it's gonna be tough to see it's gonna be interesting ford v ferrari has been the front runner i would think and race car movies and war movies mm -hmm. do well in the sound categories as do star wars movies we have all three of them this year so it's another one of those categories maybe it's shaping up for an all-timer we gotta get a sound mixer on this show yeah, we, we got a lot of questions for them we uh, we have some <laughs> all right let's review the performances george mckay i thought he was excellent i thought uh, my mom thought he has a timeless face again getting it's got a also, baby face also mom review but she thought like he looks of the period and she, she you know she's a history buff was she there in 1917 comparing faces she has done like family <laughs> tree work okay for, uh, you know the also mike family there so maybe she's looked <laughs> at a right, lot of old she's got pictures. a little experience like i got George that george mckay looks like a couple great 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 relatives of ours <laughs> i don't know i thought mckay was very good I understand why he didn't get an acting nomination, though, because to me, he's really only expressing three emotions, one of three, all throughout this movie. And I, I'm sure it was true at the time because he was a, a terrified. But he's either playing terrified, determined, or exhausted. And he does a great job, but it's you don't get any kind of character range with this. Well, he does give like 15 kinds of his, yeah. those three emotions. He does. He, he has quite the repertoire of different looks to go through those three emotions. But in terms of what kind of lead actor he would be up against this year, yeah. I'm okay with him. It makes sense. He does break down a few times and it, and it is moving. Uh, the stress of the story does weigh on him and by the end he's in tatters. Yeah. And I, I understand that arc Agreed. he's really portraying it as much. And they, they shot this movie from start to finish, at least chronologically speaking so it, it makes sense it's probably helpful to him poor guy had to do rehearsals though for like four months after being cast he had to do like months of rehearsal in the studio and then when they were on set they would have just sunny days they needed cloudy days oh man so they would wait for the clouds to come over and what they would do while it was sunny out would they they would just rehearse and they would do it again and again and again and again, getting their reps. Can you imagine? Do you this think set? directors, when they're doing big time war movies, lose their minds a little bit because it's their one time to be a general? 
Like we heard, we'd all know the story about Steven Spielberg putting everyone in Saving yeah. Private Ryan through the rigmarole except Matt Damon. So there was that true on-screen and on-set disdain and like jealousy everyone had towards him. And these are crazy stories. Crazy stories. The Coppola story. Yeah. Is yeah. One Francis Ford Coppola would just break down and crying after a scene. I mean, a scene that we're gonna remember forever. Right. And he thought it was trash after they recorded because he's so effed up. I mean, that's a great. I, I forget. I thought it was called Hearts of Dark that documentary what a great documentary that was but you're absolutely right the directors go nuts they're generals and they're not meant for said said work probably nobody is i don't understand the problem with waterboarding (laughs) dean charles chapman is the next performance to talk about i thought he had some great scenes as well as barrett uh he's trying to save his brother he's very young he's only 22 years old while mckay is 27 they both have very very round baby faces and i am sure that's why they were casted in these underdog hero roles some real heart to his scenes but the dialogue wasn't great for some of his characterization but he kind of pulls it off fairly well maybe purposefully dull i mean he's not supposed to be the brightest guy in the world he's just kind of like a, a guard dog here's your mission go do it type thing there's some there's a payoff though let's say oh absolutely yeah at, yeah, yeah. at the end of yeah. it that really worked that really hit me well uh, but he, they must have both had theatrical backgrounds and training grounds to, to pull this thing off. You would think. I mean, they seem very comfortable. I mean, they look like pros, pros on there. Great job by both of them. And then you get a bunch of English veterans, right, mm-hmm. who have a scene here, a scene there. You know if you're going to get an exposition scene, you got like a Mark Strong or, or, or somebody. Yeah, let's get one it. of yeah. the best in the industry to give you this three-line dialogue here and dump it on you. It was very smart. Yeah, and I think the smartest of those came from Andrew Scott. I mean, his scene, I mean, as a, pre- me. as a priest from Fleabag, I mean, all of the little touches he added to that scene, like, you know, b- blessing them with the liquor. Oh, my God. It's just brilliant, brilliant Reluctantly stuff. in charge now, calling the guy an idiot just offhandedly because he lost his true general, the true leader. I'm sure they wrote some of that down, but uh, after talking to Paul Walter Hauser and him basically explaining acting to us and the decisions they make and all that stuff, I mean, I'm thinking about Andrew Scott coming up with all this shit. When he's know. like... Basically, I know you're going to die if you do this, so yeah. can you just not leave the flare gun? <laughs> I, I laughed out loud. Throw it back over. Uh, all right, a few stupid spoilers for the yeah. Act 1 stuff, but okay. We got to get into some script thoughts real quick. Uh, I'm a huge fan of many of the callbacks, like I said. I'll have some worse scenes because I do think the script gets a little wonky, but I, I love the job from uh, Christy Wilson-Cairns, Sam Mendes. I thought they did a terrific job with the characterization here because you start off with like blank slates. You just start off with soldiers, and that's what they're supposed to be, and you get to know them very slowly yeah. and when you need to, and I thought this script packed many more reveals and revelations than I thought possible. And it has something I beg of every script, and I've had had huge problems with in scripts in 2019. Everything that happens has a consequence. Yes. A logical end game. It, com- it comes back up, like you said. It It's a factor towards the end. I don't think that's that hard to keep track of. I, I And this one does it with a billion things, which you don't see from many movies at all. Right. Again, though, I have some worse, too. I, I'm okay if this happened to miss a screenplay nod, because... Mendes has to pack extracurriculars, things like that, and he has the room to do so because the main story of this script is a race against time. It's simple. Right. It's it's not that complex, which is fine. I mean, you know, as an idea, it's not that complex. Obviously, the way he pulls it off and the way it's written is incredibly complex, but again, if it were to miss a screenplay now, I would have understood it. It didn't do so because it's probably going to win Best Picture. Probably going to win Best Picture. (laughs) And let's wrap up the non-spoiler section with an Oscar lens now. So it's a, a top three candidate. 
we we would say yeah. for best picture. It's probably number one. I mean, I had it yeah. number one in my power rankings, and it's for a reason. When you win that Golden Globe drama, you're to be taken seriously. You lock yourself in. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up winning the BAFTA either. It's the incredibly British film, right? So if it wins the BAFTA, it's definitely in that pole position. I would yeah. say. Yeah. If it uh, if it does not win the BAFTA, and something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood takes SAG, I, I think SAG's going to go to Parasite, but. I do too. I don't know. Right yet. now. And the BAFTAs did 1917 a little dirty. We covered that in our BAFTAs nom section. They right. have some holes in their resume that don't really make sense. It's true. Makes sense, especially for a British film. Uh, I, I, I should say, if I could ever speak properly. So I think there's reason to watch. But again, our next episode is going to be very important because yeah. we also got PGA coming down on saturday so we're putting this out for sunday so now you all know and uh you know more than (laughs) we do as we speak but look i mean this is going to win several technical oscars deacons is going to win for cinematography i do think production design at least one of the sound quarter categories if not both and score are very much in play as well I hope production design is. I yeah. just don't. I've got no reason and no indication that it's going to be taken seriously in production design yet. Uh, I think it's the front runner for best picture, and if it wins best picture, like we said, all those undercard awards, like you just talked about, are in play. So it could do as many as much damage as realistically probably seven eight wins on the night if it wanted to it depends on how the votes break down lame thing to say i know but if it's going to if you hear those undercard categories if it does win both sound which is probably not expected to do if it does win production design especially which it's not expected to do then you probably know what's going to win best picture i think four is happening i think over under i would say is four it's a good number that's a solid number i uh i'm not ready to put my chips down i could absolutely see it though but director, cinematography, and, you know, I think production design and score are contenders, but I think the sound court categories, you're going to get at least one, so you're going to get two. Maybe 3.75 is a better <laughs> Well, that's, the sound categories are where, um, I mean, if it's going to go, if everything goes chalk like it has been, yeah. the sound's going to Ford versus Ferrari, production design's going to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the, the things we know we're getting out of this are cinematography and probably director. Uh, so, it, four wouldn't surprise me, two wouldn't surprise me. Eight wouldn't really surprise me, to be honest. Yeah. But this is a watch before we can dance here. Spoilers ahead! This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. section for the Oscar Sprint Profile brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar of the Sam Mendes movie, 1917. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause, go head out to your theater. We'll be here waiting for you when you come back to hit play. If you've seen the movie already, if you're just curious to hear our thoughts on the spoilers, or if you cannot possibly go another minute without hearing what we have to say about the twists and turns in the plot, this is where you want to be. All spoilers all the time. The Oscar Sprint Profile, the OSP from Mike, Mike, and Oscar of 1917. We're going to start with our worst. We don't really have any non-spoiler 
carryovers. We sometimes start with best, sometimes start with the carryovers. We don't have any carryovers, and bests are probably going to be a lot. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start with our worst just to kind of get them out of the way. Neither one of us have very many. Michael, you said you have three. The scene with the woman and their baby. Mm. What the hell? I mean, I know I, I, I know it's like a cliche for every war movie to have this scene, but why do we have to always have this scene? I mean, it's such a contrivance, isn't it? Look, it's a respite. She's a terrible nurse. All she does is dab the back of his head with her dress for a second. And, and there was unnecessary like, sexual tension there. Right. And yeah. he's just like, thank you. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah, uh, I could see that. I didn't really have a huge issue with that scene. And I understand the, the whole, you know, you're only, even during the, the calmest moments and the happiest moments of war, you're only like a clock strike, a gong away from being snapped back to reality and realizing the mission in front of you and what you have to do and the awfulness that awaits you. I kind of understood it from that lens, but you're you're right. There was That scene was a little much. And how he just finds that place, you know, it's a needle I did not stack. understand that at all. There was little things like that that didn't impact the plot whatsoever that I have issues with. Like that guy must have really bit it hard when he was chasing him and shooting <laughs> right, at him. Right, right. Because he falls down on his face. Yeah. And like, it fires a shot. It fires a shot. Did he do the, the Peter Griffin from Family Guy? <laughs> <laughs> With his knee for like 20 minutes? And it was a straightaway, too. There wasn't like a turn. Straightaway. Yeah. So how did he lose him? I there? don't understand that. Makes no sense. Yeah. All right. That's my number one. You got it. You got a couple worse? So, yeah. I was... The, the first act of this, I was getting a little bored. And I think it was done dirty by its own marketing. Because when you have the two soldiers that are both alive and well in the yeah. first starting in this mission, they they go through this barracks of the German soldiers that are empty, and there was a whole tension building up to that point, and it was great. When they're going through the actual barracks, I was kind of like, let's, let's get going, because we know the scene with the plane that was in all the trailers for this hasn't happened yet, right. and we know both soldiers make it to at least that point, and we know this is an empty barracks because it has to be for the plot to develop so i was like all right let's go and then i saw the rat happen Mm -hmm. so the rat was i think a great touch that explosion in real time obviously shot wonderfully came from out of nowhere was a high tension moment Mm -hmm. leads to this great rollout of things to come from there stomp on the fucking rat shoot the rat reach for your gun at least i mean kill rats kill burning (laughs) pilots that's what we learned from this movie I understand helping out the pilot at least, but you don't have to be coddling him. You don't have to hold him like a baby. But yeah, there was little things, and like you said about about the the, the nurse, there's little things all throughout the plot that really have nothing to do with the story, so I was okay with them, but it just bothered me. It was just like, stomp on the fucking... You just said, hey, there's a tripwire here. This thing could blow up. We are talking very tough right now. Yes, we are. the two people we are. (laughs) If we saw a rat that big, and he was eating from a mysterious bag hanging from the ceiling... Be terrified, absolutely. Like, terrified. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a reason we're not soldiers, Michael. We're not soldiers. We <laughs> there are many reasons. Be, and thank God we are not, because we probably would just run out of their trip ourselves on another tripwire and die. Absolutely. Anonymously. <laughs> but these two heroes actually brave. Whatever the heroes. opposite of the Medal of Honor is, is what we get bestowed with. All right. My scene number two is after Tommen dies. He dies, and then seconds later. I mean, we're he's and he's panning around. Upon rewatch, I'm watching George McKay pan around. Look, uh, there's nothing but space. He's in wide open space. Nobody there. 
And like seconds, like 45 seconds later, a hundred army guys show up. Yeah. It's like that old, that old cartoon where the guy looks both ways across the street a billion times and he takes one step into the road and a Mack truck runs him over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the good South Park making fun of the cops showing up right. after everything's saved already. Right. And the, all the cops always <laughs> that, that thing again, uh, it's ridiculous. But I think the more important part of this Tom and we're seen ism, I'm supposed to believe that Rob Stark is Tom and Baratheon's older brother. Oh, Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? I'm going to leave. The entirety of Game of Thrones happens. I'll be and back in 20 I'm minutes. supposed to believe that a Stark is the same <laughs> facial construction and coloring as a Baratheon who's really a Lannister? What? Who are these people? <laughs> In this movie that I did see? I call poppycock. That's what I call This is pure British poppycock right here. The casting director should be just shame. So you're talking... Is one of these the older brother at the end of the movie that you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Rob Stark. Okay. He's I, the king of the... First king of the north. I, none of these. Ned Yost used to be a manager in the MLB. <laughs> if we want to talk about random names. So was that guy... Was the older brother... The only other weakness I have... Yeah. Was the older brother not actually in that second wave... Because to go from having been in that trench to being the guy directing people to go to the triage or the mess so, hall or wherever he was. He was supposed to be in the first wave that got called back. And they they took casualties. But Cumberbatch was able to call many of them back. And we see that when George McKay is like, you know, in a trance walking out of the general's, right. you know, dug out there. And you see a, a bunch of guys all at once. It was like 10 all at once to signify that they they got back. At least some of them did. But to go from in the trenches to where he was being a director of telling people where to go that were coming back from the trenches seemed to be... It's not great because a lot of there's a lot of coincidences like, in this movie. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if that wasn't a coincidence, I thought the implication was that George McKay just had gone through all this right. and the brother wasn't even actually in the battalion. Correct. Uh but, of course, he's just poof, he's there. Right. But, uh, again, he's getting to where he's supposed to be. And it's not such a coincidence that it's so contrived. No, again, it's a little thing, it. yeah. You know, it's the same thing with him just wandering up to the uh, the battalion and the song from the trailers. That makes sense, because he's where he was supposed to be. He hit the river to the woods. And, and my God, that song was beautiful. It was gorgeous, So haunting, yeah. Excellent. So th that's, that's my scene number two. My last scene, Mike, is they have planes. So why can't they drop a message to Cumberbatch? I mean, it's kind of a, it's Fair a point. worse scene. It's Fair a good point. point. No, that's a good point. It is a good point. And it probably happened. And they probably did this more often. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Maybe they'd be in danger of being shot down. Colin that Firth close. is the worst general, the dumbest man in the history of the King's, uh, the, the King's service there, because that is so ridiculously idiotic. Yeah, probably a fair point. Not something I thought of, though. Maybe he didn't think of it. That's all it was. Drop a bunch of flyers. You could drop multiple letters. Get this to your leader. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's Other than hard. sending the brother. And the manipulation of the brother, too. Hanging his brother's older brother's life as a dangling carrot. Mm -hmm. I know it helped out the scene. I didn't have a problem with it. But I just thought ethically, for the army to do such a thing, that's against my ethics. Like, hey, you, young kid with a baby <laughs> face. Uh, if you don't do this dangerous, dangerous mission, your brother's going to die. No big deal. 
I, I hated that. But manipulative. Let's just right, say it's manipulative, right. but it works, though, exactly. doesn't it? Yeah. It really work, freaking works. You got any more worse scenes? <laughs> no, that's all. I'm, I'm all set with worse. I can gush about best for a while here. We got a lot of them. So I mentioned the Andrew Scott sequence there. I thought that was terrific. It, it, it starts to pick up. I mean, drinking from the flask, sprinkling on the guys, blessing them. <laughs> they actually got shelled two nights ago, so he's very <laughs> suspicious. What I loved about this whole sequence is... George McKay is essentially just diminished in terms of his instinct. You know, basically he says, I don't think we should trust this. We should wait for nightfall. And Tommen's like, no, we're going now. That's man. why Tommen is like the dog. You just give him right. the scent and he's got to go because his brother's life is at stake. And George McKay, who, who later has to find his way around things uh, without Tommen, I mean, he, you are worried for him. Because yeah. he's not the map guy. And he's characterized early on as saying, I want to go back, I don't want to do that. He's the one giving the most resistance. And now it turns into this double-edged vision quest, essentially, for him, where I not only have to do this to save the lives of others, damn it, i got to do this for my fallen brother, yeah. my fallen comrade. And Brotherhood was a, a high point for me, too. I really liked how this showed war. And it showed the awfulness of war and the... Uh, instantaneousness yes. of yes. war that it yes. could break out at any moment. And once you have Dean Charles Chapman and he does die and, and Schofield's on his own there, in the truck he does get picked up from that magic school bus that appears out of nowhere just in time. <laughs> he does get picked up and you have the Brotherhood right away. They see, you know, they're willing to bust each other's balls, but when they see one of their comrades, one of their brothers in arms is in trouble and in desperate need of something to push the truck out of the mud because I got to get fucking going, yeah, like they'll that. drop all, all semblances of, you know, being sarcastic and being douchey and being guys, for lack of a better term, and help out their brother. There's some really uh, heartfelt scenes in there, worked in, and it, it serves for tension and it serves yeah. for uh, for theme as well. So we mentioned the booby trap bunker. I thought that was terrific. Loved it. The plane crash scene at this abandoned farm. My it's God. like if North by Northwest was shot in 2020. That's exactly what the callback was. And I was criticizing it in my own brain during the trailers. I'm like, you got to run laterally, man. You can't run away. But he was actually smart running back towards shelter. Yeah, trying to get the debris in the way. Yeah, get the debris in the way. I mean, the planes back then weren't made of just missiles like they are now. Right. Like nothing stopping giant planes now. beams of steel that are impenetrable, right? These are hunks of junk in the sky. As we saw, I mean, first man, they're shooting up people in literally right. tomato soup cans and this is 40 years before that, 50 so years before that. So good stump <laughs> will stop the plane, unfortunately, and it does. Yeah. Unfortunately. But, yeah. And it's uh, a soul-crushing sequence. Well, the with, little brother, yeah, yeah. He seals his own fate. They the, they save the German pilot, and it's Schofield who says, we have to kill him, put him out of his misery. And the little brother, one of his last words is, no, he needs water. Go get him water. What did you think about basically that battle, that, sh that struggle at least, him getting stabbed, the fatal stabbing taking place off camera? So I, I love the fact that they set it up twice in the screenplay, number one, because he doesn't kill the rat, and then Schofield also warns him Agreed. of the place. It's really three times. He warns him of the place while they're there. Yep. He's like, I don't like this place. But also, a, th a third time was, he's like, we got to check this place out. It's our job. Mm. Even though we're on a you know time-sensitive mission, we got to clear this out because you know we have not... You know, basically taken this territory yet in mass, even though it happens minutes after <laughs> they come into conflict with a German. But uh, I, I do think that that sequence works extremely well. It, it's a it's literally a punch to the gut. And yeah, it, it is for us as as audience members. Tom and dies, and it, I was I was emotional. I was I was you know, still I was still. I was trying not to to let it go, and 
I didn't, and I probably should have. It's been more therapeutic. <laughs> that kind of bleeds itself into my next best, which I already kind of mentioned, but you can get into more specifics of it. Everything has consequences in this movie. So his partner, his brother-in-arms dies, so now this whole mission becomes something he has to do, not yes. only for everyone else's sake, but for himself personally as his personal mission. Uh, the, right when they got out, out of the barracks from the get-go, they're out of the bunker, and he slices his hand open, and he's got the barbed wire. Now he's dealing with that the entire movie. He goes from having a wound on his own to minutes later having his hand that same infected hand uh, inside the wound of uh, a dead body uh, everything has a consequence he puts milk in his in his canister and then the baby ends up needing milk and so oh my god because he stopped to put milk in his canister he can help out this child now i just love when little things like that like you said have these callbacks I, it's brilliant it does take a deft touch i wish more movies would try to do it though Causality works. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I hope he didn't use the same hand to scoop the milk <laughs> as he did. To... I was looking at that. I think he did. <laughs> I don't think he did because it was bandaged, right? Oh, God. Open wound milk. <laughs> Here's your milk for your baby. Oh, my God. Uh, your hand is black, sir. <laughs> George McKay over that bridge uh, and then that tower fight with the German. He gets knocked out. I think he got hit in the helmet. That's what I was going to ask you. So he got shot, definitely, right? I wish they showed the helmet, you know, that because that's an easy thing. All right, show the helmet. Yeah. He got hit in the helmet. Did he Did he hurt his the back of his head by falling down the stairs? It looks like when he's with the French woman, he's got a wound on his neck that wasn't there. So I thought maybe the bullet grazed his neck and he just passed out because of it. But it's never truly explained why he has that passage of time. Did he hit his head, like you said, from going down? It's never really, and I know it doesn't matter, again, but it's just, I would have like that, like you say. I wonder if the flare lighting wasn't correct and they screwed up their <laughs> science experiment. It was supposed to light up his wound. Could be, right? yeah. I don't know, but he, he wakes up in an occupied city of basically desperate, cornered Germans who are drunk and, you know, on death's door themselves. My God. That is one of the best horror movie sequences yes. of the year. When, when that, that guy, figure is coming towards uh, him and you can only see the silhouette of him and he just starts opening fire. My Lord. I actually think... Uh, the moment you hit on where he's crossing the bridge from that moment shoot out in the tower yeah. night falls tower fire flare scene i think that whole up until he is climbing over the dead bodies in the river and gets to the song maybe to until, until the end of the the war right there i that might be the best stretch of film the entire year and that's like a good 40 45 minute chunk of the film it's greatness personified. It's greatness on the screen. You're absolutely right. I mean, if you watch the first hour of this movie, and I, it was a strange rewatch because I didn't get all the way through it. I had a weathering with you. Mm -hmm. uh, no trailers for that movie because I checked beforehand. Oh. But I had this $15 screening that I bought months ago that I was going to see this movie. Yeah. And I didn't get an early enough showtime of 1917. So I actually missed, after the song, I missed the end. I only saw oh, the no end kidding. of it once. I didn't want to leave. Yeah, I was very upset with the beginning of Weathering With You. Like, this is not explosions! <laughs> You're a sunshine girl, you better pick up Weathering I, I like that movie too. But uh, totally uh, worth the price of admission, those last 45 minutes. You're absolutely right. It's one just harrowing sequence after the next. I mean, the chasing down the river, uh, the, the, the chasing to the river, yeah. the edit mid-jump. And then you have him... 
climbing over those bodies. The mental toll of war. When he's finished climbing over those bodies and he has to just take a second to finally breathe. And that was so good. Everything was rush, rush, rush until these small moments where he can finally catch his breath. But how about that small moment where he sees the cherry blossoms and he's so at ease with that memory of his friend that he actually falls asleep in the water for a second there. That's another callback, and I like the callback to bookend the movie. We're sitting under a tree to start the movie. Yes. we got the tracking shot that leads him to going under the tree, sitting under the tree to end the movie, now more grown up. It's kind of a cool subtextual message, too, that everything's the same, nothing ever changes except the people. You know, like people have gone through these heroic, harrowing experiences. Well, they're talking about, like, the, the daily grind of a soldier, yeah. too, here. I mean, that not that a crazy commentary on what these guys went through every single day? I know this was a special circumstance, but it could be a daily circumstance for a lot of these guys. Yeah. And that's how you have to sleep? Out there on the battlefield where war is just going to, it's just waiting around every corner. You just never know. What a way to live. My God, what heroes. What heroes. And uh, look, I mean, they're running through the battlefield sideways. And Christy uh, Wilson Cairns talked about the fact that she loved writing this war movie because it was their mission to stop a battle, to stop yeah, bloodshed. Yeah, good point. And th- this is one of those rare war movies that works in that regard. Did you think Benabil Cumberdu was going to actually listen when he got the message? No, I didn't think I because didn't think so Mark Strong gave us a very strong, you know, talking <laughs> to there to make sure they have witnesses. But what choice did he have at that point either? I understood he could have right. refused to read the letter, but if you're reading the letter, you got to stop. It, that was a bit contrived. That wasn't great. Yeah. That, that whole thing. Because it's a warning, but Cumberbatch was just like, sure. <laughs> you, are you, really? Truth sees. Okay. Right here. Sh- shut it down. Yeah. I would have thought he put up more of a resistance based on Mark Strong's <laughs> warning, but all right. But, uh, I mean, then you have that emotional sequence with Richard Madden, the older brother. I mean, God, what great acting from him there. Reading they it re- all over his face. Look, yeah. I, I know he doesn't look like a Baratheon, but he does pull off a great scene, and that is just just heart-wrenching stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. He doesn't look much like a bingo card at all, but he, you know, it's, yeah, he wears emotion quite well, and he's fighting back tears the whole time. It is... I, I was a little curious that Schofield had to return to him to get the handshake and get the affirmation of, I'm glad you're with my brother at my brother's side, but I'm sure that also wasn't on his mind being just told that your brother has died. So I thought it was a great sequence, too, because Schofield doesn't really tell him the story yet. And yeah, if he did, it true. would have been very self-aggrandizing, and he refuses to do that in this guy's morning. I mean... I thought he was going to go with he was the bravest person I ever knew because he did save his yeah. life. I mean, we saw it. The guy was brave. I would have been like, a... you know, listen, just get me a ticket home here because <laughs> you outrank me. And I just, not only did I save your brother's life, I saved everybody's life. Here. And I was just told to fuck off. Do you know what I have to, what I had to go through to get here? Yeah, right. Where I had to sleep. I have had a day. <laughs> that would be you and me just like. If we had to dig a latrine once. Done! If we had to dig, like, half a trench, yeah. it's desertion time. That's why we, we don't deserve to be out there. How, again, how did they do these? They had to actually dig these things. To actually, I mean, the production design is just outstanding. I couldn't get over it. They had to have made trenches. Yes, Damn right? it. This movie's too good. Why yeah. is this movie that good? I hate it. I hate it. Very upset. I'm very uncomfortable with, with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's chances right now. Yeah, I don't a, like it. It's a top tier movie it's a top five movie probably for the both of us and it is coming in right at the the perfect time to just put a wrench in the whole best picture argument so you started it what you have for a final grade here michael i have an a minus 91 yeah that is uh, a tick above 
The Irishman. That is a tick above Marriage Story and Little Women. It is it is a really high a high grade for me this year. Yeah, I have the exact same grade, uh, ninety one. It's one of the few movies I, I get into the A territory with. Uh, it's it's up there on the year. I have it one point below Hollywood right now. 92, 91 for both of those. Oh, so going to be an interesting, interesting Best Picture lead up. At least they have a second film that I'm okay with it winning Best Picture. Really? Out of those five. If it wins, I'm okay with it. I get it. I'll be upset still, yeah. but I get it. I get it. Too. I don't get Parasite. <laughs> no, I get this for political reasons as well, because yeah. I think this is just impossible to dislike. Impossible. I to think it. they should hammer the message about this one being the one that stops war. I think that's a very cool take yeah. and very interesting. If they show the making of featurettes to the Academy mm. at large, this movie's winning in yeah. a landslide. Yeah. Absolute landslide. Going to be interesting. Uh, very curious. Very curious month left. A couple weeks left we have until the Oscars run up here. We'll see how the SAGs are. I guess you guys will already know how the SAGs went by the time you listen to this. So uh, we'll see how the PGAs and all the other guilds shake out before inevitably Oscars Sunday does come. But we want to know your thoughts, comments, questions about 1917. Does it rank as highly in your best of 2019 lists as it does uh, seems to do for Mike and I. You can leave us those thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram at mm and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. If you use the Apple Podcasts app or own an iPhone, if you wouldn't mind going on there, searching Mike, Mike, and Oscar, uh, tapping on our logo, scrolling down, and leaving us a five star review, even though we are nowhere near five star general <laughs> status that these heroes, these absolute heroes right. and generals and men of honor are. Mike, Words of wisdom. What's next for MMO? In a war zone, Mike, it is wise to kill rats, I think. As yeah. Between the stories that we heard. It's not a euphemism either. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a euphemism. But I think you need to be a rat exterminator, unfortunately, with the disease and the bags of meat <laughs> hanging from the ceilings and the, the humongous size of were those Were those bags of meat? If they were, what, were the, what was the purpose? So the rats would eat the meat and, trip and not the, wire? the people. Oh. When you think about it, you got the bunks. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Right? So if they're eating the bleeding bags of meat, they're Jesus not eating the people. Christ. I what? just hope there are dead rats in there. Yeah, you know? what a Not dead, dead people. God bless our soldiers. God bless all of them. <laughs> I hope there's a. I hope heaven exists. And there's a great spot for all of them. There, <laughs> my God. Good Lord. But uh, what's coming next? We have the SAG PGA Oscar Race Checkpoint Reaction Show coming up uh, tomorrow for you. And then this week we got a few more category overview pods. I think we have a guest or two lined up for at least uh, one or two of those. And hopefully all three of them. But uh, I don't know when we're going to get you a Mike, Mike, and Oscar weekly episode. I know you got a lot of responses to the Six Degrees. I'll put out a booster for that probably this week. Hopefully by next week we can squeeze one of those in. It's just a lot to do right now. Yeah, and keep the uh, Mike, Mike, and Oscars categories coming. Had a few of you reach out on Instagram. That was really cool. So uh, keep those coming in for the Mike, Mike, and Oscars award show. Let us know. Big sprint, big finish to this yep. long, year-long race that we are about to embark on here and cross the finish line in a couple of weeks, February 9th, the Academy Awards, and we will be there until the very end. Maybe 1917 will be the last movie to hear its name called. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies, these award shows with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.